Here's what's coming up on today's show. But there are other investments out there that do different things, and there's a, there's a higher cost internally for those. And in some cases, it makes sense to pay that higher cost because you're getting additional di- diversification or maybe uh, you know higher income or something of that nature. When it comes to your finances, you don't want to be at a disadvantage. Tim Dyer can help. He's a wealth manager specializing in retirement planning and investment management, and he could be that financial coach that helps you achieve your goals in retirement. This is Retirement Power Play. Well, hello, and welcome back into the Retirement Power Play podcast. I'm Ben George. He's Tim Dyer. We got a good show for you today. We are going into the financial statements, Tim. I, you know, I, I I'm guilty of being a person that when I get them in the mail. I don't really know what to look at. Don't really care too much about it. Maybe look at the number, the account value, and then I'm done with it. But there's a lot more to it, right? Yeah, there is. There is. It's funny because I joke around with people, and, I, and when we talk about statements, we just talk about the lower right. And, uh, <laughs> and what that means is, you know, you're adding up all the different accounts that are in that statement, and people just look right to that bottom line, lower right. Are we up or are we down? And things don't have to be that much more complicated um, than that once you have a solid plan in place. But there's a lot of things that go in uh, to making sure that that is in place. And uh, we, let's dig into some of those today. Yeah, I want to kind of go through this. If, if you're someone that needs a little bit of help kind of understanding what you need to be paying attention to, what's important, and what it all means, uh, hopefully this episode will help you out with that. So income projection first, Tim, when you see this, especially in your 401k statement, is it accurate? Is it something I actually should put any credence, give any credence to? <laughs> Income projection, something that could always be higher. <laughs> um, so I think I, there's a couple of different ways when we think about income, and, and this can get nuanced, so we're going to start at the high level. So on a statement that you get, a lot of times the positions – okay, and those are just the investments. I had somebody the other day come into my office and says, oh, you know, the advisor I was working with was talking about my positions, and I didn't know what he was talking about. <laughs> Those are your investments, okay? Mm. The positions in your account. But when you look um, at an in, you know one specific position or investment, you'll see typically on a statement it'll say the estimated yield, or it'll say the estimated income for you know for the coming year or whatever that might be sometimes they do it monthly but a lot of times it's it's what's the annual estimated income and what's important is that income number is is based upon the current price all right now if you purchase an investment let's say you purchase a a stock and it pays a uh, it's a ten dollars and it pays a one dollar dividend that means that it yields ten percent and usually that dividend is annual, so it probably pays you know twenty five cents quarterly. All right. Okay. And so now the that ten dollars that you paid for that specific investment is going to move up and down with the market. And so if now that same investment is you know paying uh, or maybe it's trading at uh, nine bucks a share, it's still paying that one dollar dividend, assuming they haven't reduced it, of course. Um, but now that yield is going to be a little bit higher, right? Maybe closer to 11 or 11.5%, if you will, checking my math. Um, so that, that same investment actually has different yield characteristics, and it's based on when you purchased it, all right? So looking at what that estimated income is, is based on what that current yield is on that investment. But you might have paid more or less than what that current price is. So 
you know, getting something, maybe a report your advisor can run, or, you know, you can look at the dividends of your positions or the income that maybe your bonds pay to give you what the actual dividends were. That's going to give you a better idea of what, you know, that cash flow looks like next year for each account. And, and we have software here that can easily do that. We can put in the positions, we can put in the shares for our clients that uploads automatically. But if you had a statement and you wanted to have us check it, we could do that. And I could tell you exactly what that estimated income would be for next year. Um, and then whether or not it makes sense to tweak that up or down. Uh, I'll just add this. If, if we're talking about income, somebody that's at or near retirement, this is becoming a, a higher priority. Somebody that's a longer ways away, their priority is more aligned with growth or accumulation. So when you pull one lever, it pulls another. As you're moving assets into maybe more income base, that's probably taking money away from the growth base. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. And that kind of leads us into trying to determine what our asset allocation is, which Mm -hmm. is another piece of jargon that we can dig into. It, well, yeah, and we should put that in the penalty box, right? Um, <laughs> but, I, you know, the asset allocation, all I think of is like the pie chart that's got a bunch of different colors to it. And, you know, it obviously kind of labels those colors. But a lot of times, A, you probably don't know exactly how you're allocated. Even, even by looking at that pie chart, you don't know if it's good or bad. And mm -hmm. a lot of times you don't even know what the, the categories are that are listed there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, hey, look, who doesn't love a nice pie chart, right? This industry loves to, you know, keep Hewlett Packard in business with uh, all the colors and ink that we use on that. But, um, and actually, we don't do a lot of that. We we can show uh, through some of our reporting. Again, we we take this asset allocation, and let me just break down that jargon for a second. Asset allocation is just industry jargon for how are your assets or your investments broken up. You know, how much is allocated towards growth how much is allocated towards income or maybe stable value, those types of things. That's the high level. Now, underneath that, let's just take the, the growth silo or sleeve. Within our growth uh, assets, how many of those are or how much, what percentage or what dollar amount is allocated towards uh, high growth or aggressive growth? How much is allocated towards international investments versus domestic? So you can really start to get granular. You know, you take it down another level. How much is in large companies versus small companies? Um, and, you know, the breakdown gets, gets more, you know, finite or granular as you kind of drill down. But I tell clients at a minimum, I want you to know, and we'll show you what it is, but I, I, you don't have to know what all the tickers are and all the things that might be in your portfolio. You certainly can. But I want you to know that your strategy, for example, is 60% growth, 40% income. And then underneath that, hey, look, this growth is going to you know, be in tune with the ups and downs of the stock market. This income portfolio, we're not as concerned necessarily about what the principal is doing on a day-to-day -day basis. We're more concerned about is it generating that income that we can use now or in the future. So... Um, you know, you could look at the allocation and come up with an income projection, or uh, you could do an income projection and then take a look at the overall asset allocation in your portfolio and figure out if any changes need to be made on that. All right. And, and beyond that, you have the fees. And a lot of times people aren't looking at fees in their financial statements because they're not really listed clearly many times. But mm -hmm. is that something you should be looking for or at least be aware of as you're going through your financial statements? 
Yeah, the thing about fees is, um, yeah, they're they're you know they're not a line item per se. With the exception of a advisory fee, for example, we have an advisory fee for the investments that we manage for our clients, and that's a a line item, and it's you know fully disclosed, et cetera, et cetera. But as far as transaction fees uh, or internal fees for uh, different investments, that stuff is you got to look under the hood, right? Now, uh, for example, a mutual fund or an index fund, those types of investments all have some sort of internal cost to be managed. In the case of index funds, again, typically those are a little bit less than, or could be a lot less than what maybe a regular mutual fund internal expense is. But, you know, having an idea of what that those internal expenses are is helpful. Is it the end-all be-all? No. I think that, you know, if you were to just set up a portfolio with the absolutely lowest possible index funds you could find. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. It's probably a good starting point. But there are other investments out there that do different things, and there's a, there's a higher cost internally for those. And in some cases, it makes sense to pay that higher cost because you're getting additional d- diversification or maybe uh, you know, a higher income or something of that nature. Mm-hmm. And I'll give you an example. When we took a look at our clients and their positions and we looked at their individual investments and what the cost was to own those investments, this particular income uh, position, it had a, what was, it, it looked like a 10% annual charge. Wow. Now, that's how it showed up on the research screen, if you will. But what that was is that was a specific investment that it didn't pay a fee until the fund generated nine percent of income okay and then it split the income uh or the you know distribution above that 20 percent so the fund company took 20 percent of anything above that nine percent so in a world where cds money markets those rates are getting a little better but a a guaranteed treasury pays four four and a half percent as of this recording Something that pays, you know, it, it doesn't have a fee until it pays you nine. And you paid that fee every year the last five years. A lot of people be happy to pay a dollar to get, you know, 10 back, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think the, the, the bigger point there is that looking and knowing what you're paying to own your investments is critical, right? And, and if it's not managed correctly, can really work against you like a leaky bucket. But just because something has a fee doesn't necessarily make it, or a fee you know, greater than 0.01%, doesn't make it necessarily um, a bad investment. Well, are there any fees that you're not going to find listed on the financial statement, or is everything on there? Depending on the custodian, meaning whether it's Schwab, Fidelity, Merrill Lynch, E-Trade, you know, those are all custodians where mm-hmm. the investments and assets are held. Um, very rarely do you see what the internal expense is for the different types of investments. And I'll, I'll make a side note here. If you have a portfolio of stocks, stocks don't have internal expenses, right? I mean, you get, they've got CEO salaries and things like that to run the business. But to, run, but to you know, manage the actual investment, there's no internal cost. Now, a mutual fund is a basket of stocks or a basket of bonds or something of you know, that nature. To run that basket or to manage that basket, somebody has to do that, and there's a cost to do that. And depending on how expensive or how liquid certain investments are or how risky, you know, it kind of determines what that internal expense is. 
But let me give you a kind of a analogy here that I used in one of my live events. Um, we remember not too long ago, you, the shelves were empty in some of the grocery stores, right? And, and we know now inflation has changed the prices of some things. But, you know, Ben, I don't know if you – do you do the shopping, grocery shopping in your family? Occasionally, yeah. All right, all right. So um, when you go to the grocery store and you've got your list of items, you probably have a pretty close idea of what they're going to cost. Is I used that fair? To. I used to, yeah. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, if you reach for a box of cereal, you know it's not going to be 20 bucks. Right, right. right. You know, um, or, you know, a, a bag of cheese isn't going to be, you know, 50 cents. Like there's some, and then if you get to the um, checkout counter and your bill is $500 and you've got 15 items, something's wrong, right? And like, wait a minute, let me see that receipt. We're going to go through those and, and check those numbers, right? See, in the, in the investment world, people are essentially going to a grocery store where they don't know the prices of things. The prices can be changed. There's no checkout price. And so one of the things that we do a lot of times when we meet with new clients is we just do, you know, the, we, we, we set up the receipt. And we say, hey, look, this is what it costs to own all your investments. Maybe, maybe that's a good price. Maybe it's a bad price. But you should know. Um, mm-hmm. And then from there, see if there's any leaky buckets. So you know, getting informed around that, I think adds a lot of confidence and people, and then you put some context to it. What does that mean? You know, if I'm paying uh, a third of a percent for my investments, you know, is that good? Well, you know, based on the types of things you're doing, that's lower than the average, you know, just to right. kind of throw out an example there. But, um, and, and all those things affect, you know, fees, how you're balanced, your asset allocation, your income, all of those things affect um, both near and short-term goals. So they're important to have uh, you know, some clarity around. Yeah, no question. Well, the last thing I've got on my list in terms of what we're paying attention to is something that I actually don't pay any attention to, which is the fine print, the disclosures you're going to find on these financial statements. Tim, they can be uh, rather lengthy at times, and um, I don't know that we all have time to go through each <laughs> of them, so I kind of rely on my advisor to tell me, should I be paying attention to these? Is there anything I'm missing by not reading through this fine print? Well, it's a live show, so let me <laughs> be very you know, careful here because I could open a can of worms compliant-wise. But no, I mean, everybody's seen, for example, in, in this business, you'll always see the past performance is not a guarantee of future results. And um, you know, this is not a recommendation. Maybe there's some information that's out there. there there's, there's a lot of stuff. Um, that's out there. Now, when it comes to statements and the disclosures that are on the bottom, the language is probably pretty similar amongst all of them, right? It's sort of the all-encompassing CYA type of legalese that that uh, firms need. Um, look, I'm not. I'm never going to say that it, you should ignore it, but um, you know, look at it, and if there's questions about it, certainly ask. That's um, that's what people are there for. It's funny. It reminds me of these commercials. I'm thinking of like, um, oh, I don't know. There was a there was a commercial for what was that um, that new SUV? It was like a not a Pathfinder, but a um, it won all these awards, right? It was kind of a new a few years back. Yeah. But they're going off road, and well, hey, look, let's let's take it up a level, right? The Range Rover commercial you see where the Range Rover goes up the Great Wall of China or whatever, and in the bottom there's a little like we have to put this stuff right, like. Uh, professional driver, closed course, uh, do not try this at home. I mean, we're at the point here in America where we literally have to put this stuff in the commercials. Right. 
because someone might do it. Um, and so, hey, it is what it is. Uh, litigious society across the board. Um, I don't think, I think the disclosures are there. They sort of cover, you know, 90% of the level-headed, uh, 99% of the level-headed people out there that know these things. But um, it's always good to just kind of be aware of it. I will say, um, this, this opens up another little can of worms, but when you go to, when we're talking about fine print, mm-hmm. one of the things that you can look at is whether you're working with an advisor or a company or maybe a financial planner, these names to you might all sound the same, but they all do different things under the sort of umbrella of this financial services industry. But if you look at the bottom of, of, of their webpage, you'll see, you know, kind of how that company is set up. Is it set up as an SEC registered company? Is it set up as a planning company, maybe with a CFP? And, you know, these can overlap. You certainly have CFPs that work at SEC registered RAAs and stuff like that. But um, that's an area where where you can really get some clarity once you kind of understand how to read um, form ADVs and, and things like that that are on investors' websites. I think some of those things are more important than, you know, now if you Google search what to ask a financial advisor, you know, th- those questions are, I think, silly. And I think they're made up by the, by the people that want you to ask them. For example, there are plenty of advisors out there that are not CFPs that are good advisors, right? And, and I see these checklets out there like, are you a CFP? Yes or no. And if you're not, like, move on. Well, you know, there's a lot of people out there, myself included, that have been doing financial plans for over 20 years. <laughs> I've written more financial plans than probably most of the new CFPs out there. Yeah. Well, I know I have than the new CFPs. Um, and there's certainly a lot of qualified ones that have been around longer than myself. But um, anyways, we got down a rabbit hole there on uh, disclosures, <laughs> something that bores me to tears. But it is <laughs> it is definitely something that uh, that matters, especially when it comes to money, because there's no turning back if you get it wrong. Yeah. Well, those are the things out of my list. Is there anything else that uh, that you point out on statements to your clients or want to make sure they're, they're at least paying a little attention to? Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I guess I just kind of point this out because I know my clients are, are listening to this too. I mean, some, some clients go to the actual custodians. They'll log into Schwab or they'll log into Fidelity or something of that nature. But um, we have a portal and, and, and a lot of companies have this too, you know, where it aggregates kind of some people are familiar with mint.com it's something along those lines where you can connect your different accounts and and you can look at things that in a a much more user-friendly way where kind of technology allows you to sort of bubble up the information that matters on statements you got to legally put every little uh you know dividend that hit or you know check your road and you know i I mean that's that's fine to have it there but sometimes you just want to know hey what i put in what did it do is that good or bad? <laughs> do I need to, you know, do I need to make any changes? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, between looking at your statements, your portal, and and working with your advisor or um, or your spouse or whatnot, um, you know, can give you some clarity around that. So, good good topic there, financial statements. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's not something we get excited about, but something that's important to to pay attention to and to kind of help make sure you're on the right track and just be following along. Make sure you understand everything. That's uh, that's in there in your portfolio. So good stuff to go through today, Tim. Uh, appreciate the insight as always. I'll encourage you to, if you have questions, you can you can call eight five eight four five nine thirty nine thirty seven. Also, every podcast can be found on retirementpowerplaypodcast.com. And also, please subscribe to the show if you haven't done that yet. We have a new episode every couple of weeks, and uh, we'll do another one again here soon, Tim. So 
look forward to talking with you uh, when we do. Yeah, keep those uh, lower right statements going to the <laughs> up and to the right. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you for listening to the Retirement Power Play podcast for Tim Dyer, Dyer Wealth Management. I am Ben George. Take care. The commentary on this podcast reflects the personal opinions, viewpoints, and analyses of Sage Capital Advisors, LLC, DBA Dire Wealth Management employees making such comment and should not be regarded as a description of advisory services provided by Dire Wealth Management or performance returns of any Dire Wealth Management Investments client. The views reflected in the commentary are subject to change at any time without notice. The opinions expressed in this podcast are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referred for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Dire Wealth Management provides advisory services through Sage Capital Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Dire Wealth Management and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advice may be rendered by Dire Wealth Management unless a client service agreement is in place.